0: By grace through faith, not by any works. And I love how it says to me. This is what it, to me when he says it is the gift of God. And when I think of the gift of God, I think about a gift. Maybe in Christmas sometime or a birthday. There was that one gift you know that you wanted, um, and it was more special than everything else. Remember the Christmas story of the movie? How the Ralphie he wanted the uh, BB gun. And that was, I mean, he got all kind of gifts, but that was the gift. And when he got that, he was so excited, and maybe you felt like that. And when he says, he doesn't say a gift of God in this, he says the gift of God. And what greater gift can be God's grace? Because it's undeserved, we don't deserve it, I don't deserve it. But he gives us this gift, because he died on the cross for us. And when we accept him, he gives us this wonderful gift. Uh, So I wanted to (coughs) go to Galatians. Galatians. And it talks in chapter 1 in Galatians. And you'll see this come up a couple of the times. But in verse 3, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Now, I'm not a deep theologian or anything, but here's a deep theological question for you. All right? Why did Christ come to rescue us? And the deep theological answer is, because we needed to be rescued. Right? We were sinners. And we cannot break that chain. Of anything dealing with sin. Without Christ and his sacrifice. And it says he gave us for him. A lot of people believe. That you know we're saved by grace. Or we're saved. But. Um, uh, if. Uh, like a lot of people. Today think Jesus was a great teacher. Or should follow his, follow his example. Follow his teachings. Um, but Paul doesn't talk about that. He talks about Jesus Christ being uh, someone who came to rescue us, and he gave himself uh, for that. It's by his mercy and his grace. And, or people will think, well, we just live a good life. You know, follow his example. But Paul, in verse 6, apparently comes, sees that the Galatians have been misled. And he says in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion fusion, and are trying to revert the gospel. Apparently, there were people that were coming and they were adding to the gospel. And Paul was saying, but if you add anything to the gospel, it's really no gospel at all. And so he's and he is passionate about this. You'll see a number of times the words he uses. He didn't just say, oh, I heard you've got some new teaching. No, he's astonished that they're believing this. And try to think of an analogy from it. I was thinking, like, if Pastor Matt, for example, uh, went on a six-month book tour, of course, we would pay for it, and he would go on this big book tour. And in the meantime, he would have maybe some preachers come in and would, you know, fill in for and do pastoral duties for the for those six months. And then when he came back, he would find out that well, we believe that it's not just saved by grace. You had to do certain things. There were certain ceremonies Like we would have to uh, to have be baptized by water once a month, or there were certain things we had to eat or certain things we couldn't eat and do. <clears throat> and I think when he would come back, he would say, "Wow." Why why are you believing this? He would be astonished that we would be uh, deluded by that. Uh, He might even be, uh, he'd be perplexed that this is happening. He might even, um, he might even be angry. He might be angry at those false preachers for leading his flock astray. He might even be angry at us for the, how could you do that, all right? So he's concerned, he's very, very concerned that he wants to shed light and bring them back to the true gospel message. And he says in verse 11, I want you to know, brothers, That the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He wants the Galatians to know this wasn't just something he heard somewhere, some sermon somewhere, or somebody talking. It came to him directly, excuse me, from Christ. And uh, he talks about chapter 2, and I'm not going to go into all that, but his history and his testimony, and his testimony is a powerful witness to the beating heart of Christianity. It's the gospel of grace and grace alone. That's the only way to be saved. And he wants the Galatians to come back to that true gospel. So you could pretty much read that on your own if you want. But uh, going down to chapter 2, verse 15. He says, "We We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law no one will be justified so he wants the Galatians we need to always remember ourselves what the true gospel message is and verse 20 is a favorite verse of many people I have been crucified with Christ (coughs) excuse me and I no longer live but Christ lives in me the life I live in the body I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me and he had mentioned that back in chapter 1 I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. One of my favorite songs is a song from uh, Jars of Clay from years ago. Uh, There's a line in the song. It said, blood-stained brow, he didn't die for nothing. Arms nailed down, he didn't die for nothing. He didn't die for nothing. This is the one thing, the one thing that I know. And if you know, the song is called Liquid. It's by Jars of Clay from way back. If you've never heard the song, You should download or something. It's a great song. So he goes on in chapter (coughs) 3. He calls the Galatians foolish in in chapter 3, verse 1. But going down in chapter 3 to verse 11, clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Again, he's leading them back, you know, but they're being rescued, about being uh, justified and being saved. In in chapter 3, going down to verse 22. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. That what we was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ. Might be given to those who believe. And then he talks about it in, in verse 24. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. And again that we might be justified by faith. And now that faith has come. we no longer are in the supervision of the law. So again he's getting that point across. These Galatians need to hear it. They're justified by faith. And then he tells us we're sons of God. In verse 10, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And this is like a type of divine adoption. Even though he says sons of God, I mean, I'm not totally sure how all this works. But when he says sons of God, he means everybody. He's talking about, because he does say in verse um, 28, uh, there's no, neither Jew nor Greek, saved nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So he is now telling the Galatians and he's telling us that we are sons of God. And we belong to him. And he talks about going down in chapter 4. Verse 4. God sent his son born of a woman. Born under law to redeem those under the law. So now he's again reminding them that we've been redeemed. We might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons. And again I believe he means everybody. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba. Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And since you are a son. God has made you also an heir. So he talks about being rescued. We're being redeemed. We're uh, adopted. We're, um, this Abba Father. I was reading a, a book from Timothy Keller. and if you read anything from him. But Abba Father uh, puts out this profound passion and feeling. Uh, it's a nearness to God. It's a confidence of love and assurance. It's like a young child who assumes um, that a parent loves them. And that's what he's trying to express with God and our Father. And there's a boldness and a certainty that God uh, loves them endlessly. So he goes on, he talks about a little bit of false teachers again in verse 17. Those people, chapter 4, verse 17, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may be zealous for them. So this thing about false teachers, i just touch on briefly, but... They want you to be zealous for them. That's what Paul is, is saying. And we need to be careful of that today because there's a lot of stuff out there that we need to just be careful of. Um, but what they want to do is win you over. They, they may even build you up, flatter us, is what they were doing to the Galatians. And then why would they build you up? Why would they flatter us? Well, then, then we would flatter them and make something big out of them. They need to be uh, adored and they need to be obeyed. And then when you do that, then you'll be blessed by God. And Paul is totally against that. He's deeply concerned about this. Uh, and the failure to grasp the gospel, he's telling them, basically, is it causes uh, us to take our eyes off the, of the kingdom of God and uh, who we are in Christ. And we need to be uh, careful about, uh, about that today as well. And on a little sidebar, little sermon. Uh, there was, on a or New Year's Day a couple of years ago, I was listening to Christian Radio, and then uh, Bart Millard, he's the lead singer of Mercy Me, and, you know, Mercy Me, the Christian Temporary Group, he was talking about, he had some young children, and he was talking about, uh, there are a lot of voices out there that at your children, you know, there's Hollywood, you know, there's the media, there are glamour magazines, they're telling you what you should be like, and what you should do, um. And he was concerned about that. And what he said, and I always remember this, and this is a lesson for parents and grandparents, and remember it, that he, ex- and he said, I want to be the louder voice in my children's lives. So whatever voices, whatever messages they were getting from others, he wanted to make sure that they knew how they were accepted, that they were loved, uh, that their, what their value was. Um, and he also wanted to know, of course, about uh, Jesus Christ, that that relationship with Christ and their identity is in Christ. And i always remember that. So I throw that out there. Always be the louder voice in your children's lives, parents' lives, or anybody you're in contact with. In chapter 5, he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Again, he wants us to know our true identity. Um, Verse 13, he talks about how we are called to be free, but not to use your freedom to indulge in a sinful nature, but rather to serve in love. And, and then he goes, chapter 5, talks about life in the spirit, and he mentions the sinful, the sinful nature and desires of what they are. He mentions the acts of the sinful nature, just sexual immorality, impurity, debaucheries, adultery, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, all these bad stuff. Hits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and he goes on and all these other things. And then he talks about 22. we been all familiar with this. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, gentleness, and self-control. Now we're we'll going back to touch on that in a minute here. Then he goes in chapter 6, and now he starts talking about doing good to all. And he sort of changes his tune here, because he goes to chapter 6, and he says in verse 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, but at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we not give up. Therefore, and this word me, this is what struck me when I studied this a couple of years ago. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And I was thinking, everything Paul is talking about sort of leads up to that therefore. You, you know that you're, he wants the Galatians to know, he wants us to know, we're saved, we're justified, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're accepted by God, uh, we're, under, we're free, that has already been taken care of when we trusted Christ for salvation. So why does he all of a sudden change his tune and say, to do good? And I, it's not because, and I, I wrote this down, I'll make sure I say it right, but Paul is not telling the Galatians to do good so they could be saved or keep their salvation or anything like that. Um, that has already been taken care of um, oh, when they trusted Christ for their salvation. That's already been taken care of. He does not want them to do good works as some kind of law or some kind of requirement. He believes he is genuinely concerned about them and passionate about their well being and their walk with the Lord. He wants them to do good works because he believes that is the best way for them to care for each other, to grow, and to prosper in their faith and their daily lives. He wants them to do good works, not as some requirement, but so that they will help each other and love each other and be strong in the Lord together. And that always sort of struck me. I I read a couple years ago, I don't remember who the author was, but he talked about... um, Preaching the gospel to yourself on a daily basis, and I sort of turned into, into prayer. And I always, like, I will say, Dear "Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for taking the penalty of my sins on the cross. Uh, you know, I'm justified. I'm saved. I'm redeemed. Um, you love me. You accept me. Well, I just love this hymn we sang. Jesus loves even me. He accepts even me. Uh, and I always, th- and I pray that, and I thank God for that. And then I ask God for the the, the opportunity to, just to do good. Whenever it comes up. I, I mentioned this to Carolyn Dobo uh, a couple of years ago when I had been studying this. She was working as a, a, a computer, the monitor in the computer lab. And I said, I wanted to simplify my Christian Life Summit. I was talking about how, um, you, know, uh, you know, I know I'm saved and that's taken care of. So instead of getting too complicated, just do good as God gives you opportunities. And I mentioned that to Carolyn. And she was in, the, and I, had a, I was subbing at West Branch, and I had a class in the computer lab. Well, a young lady came in, and she needed help with a paper she was writing. So Carolyn went over, and they sat at the computer, and Carolyn patiently just helped her with that paper. And when she was done, she came over and I said, Carolyn, what did you just do? And she looked at me like, you know, and I said, you were just doing good. You know, you think, oh, that's just a little thing. Well, you know what, in that, that, girl's, uh, in that girl's situation, that was a big thing for her. She needed to write this paper. That was a big thing in her mind. And that's just one little act of doing good. You can do great and big acts of good. But you can also do some small uh, little acts of good. <clears throat> so, and, and just going back a little bit to um, the fruits of the Spirit. If, if the fruits of the Spirit are evident in our lives. Back to verse 22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, if those are evident in our lives, we're doing good. And how, do, how does that fruit of the Spirit grow? And again, reading from Timothy Keller, I read from him. So when we worship Christ and we love and adore Him with the Spirit's help, uh, when we desire Him more than all the other things, that all of that stuff that's in verse uh, 19, that sinful nature, all, that, all those things, jealousy, all that other stuff, slowly, maybe gradually, that God will remove that, type of stuff from us and instead he will replace it with the fruit of the spirit uh, so as we get we worship Christ we love him see how beautiful he is more and more um, we become more like the people that we want to be the type of people that God wants us to be uh, and we said we'll be doing good God will get the glory we will grow others will be blessed when we do that um, it's and the fruits of the spirit it's, it's gradual I mean it doesn't like if you plant a tree you don't see pop there's you know fruit that fruit grows sometimes gradually. Sometimes, I mean, for example, today you might handle a situation today differently than maybe you've done in the past. That could be the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we fail. And I know I've done that. I've done things and I've thought, oh, I missed an opportunity, or I should have done that. But I think God even teaches us by his grace like, through through mistakes, through failures, so that you know, maybe in some other time we will uh, do good. So this it's gradual. Uh, it's inevitable as we get closer to God. It's inevitable. The Holy Spirit will produce fruit in us. It's eternal. It's not talking about just the traits that we have. This is something the Holy Spirit will produce. And he also says about being symmetrical. That they, they grow together. And are one. So uh, I wanted to go a little bit to um, First Peter and Second Peter. Just a couple little passages. Um, the First Peter... Because he talks about doing good as well, talks about suffering and doing good, but there's other things that I come from here. But sec, uh, First Peter chapter three verse eight: Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. And if we're doing those things, we are we are doing good. And uh, I had a couple of little examples of just little things, but things that meant something to me. Uh, but I coached junior high softball a couple years ago with my wife, and uh, we had a girl on the team. Her name was Tara, and I uh, coached her in the spring. And we're supposed to coach in the in the in the summer league, but I hurt my Achilles, and I couldn't. I was out for a couple months, so I couldn't coach that summer. And um, but in July, I was able to go see a game. Well, if you know the softball foot at West Branch behind the school, I mean, there's a big hill there, and you can't. You, have to, you sit up in the hill and he'll watch the game. There's no way I could get down to the dugout. So I went up to watch the game, and Tara and a couple other girls, that came up to the dugout, and they saw me there. And she just came up the hill, and she was bad to see me. She gave me a little hug. And the other girl sort of, uh, you know, fell and stepped and did the same thing. And maybe that seems a little to you, but the fact that she did that it really touched me. I really, I, I mean, I really liked that, that, that kid. But the fact that she did that was really touching to me. And it's just a little kind act, but Sometimes little acts can be, be big things. I mean, some, some things that you remember. Uh, and I, I remember, some of you might know Dr. John McDaniel. He passed away recently, but he was an administrator at West Branch. And um, uh, having taught learning support, um, I had to do individual education plans. We met with, with the parents. And uh, we had one meeting, Dr. McDaniel was, being, was acting as an interim principal, and he was required to sit in on our meetings. Uh, so one meeting we sat in. And the meeting went on for a long, long time. I mean, it really, and you know, I was getting antsy. And I'm thinking about, well, Dr. McDaniel, he's probably got other things he wants to do and got to do and everything. And after the meeting was over, um, I said, "Well, that was that went for a long time." And Dr. McDaniel said, and then I remembered, he said, "Well, sometimes that's the only time that a parent can talk about their kid. You know, their concerns, their frustrations, their hopes. So other than feeling like a heel." I learned, a, you know, I learned a good lesson from that. I'm thinking he's all an- you as well, and he wants to get on to something else. But he's sitting there. What's he doing? He's being compassionate, and he's showing kindness just by listening there. Sometimes, you know, listening to somebody is the only thing you can do. I mean, you can pray, but like I said, when Tara came up to me to give me a hug, she wasn't anything else she could do, but it was just a little kind act, a little act of sympathy. And I thought that Dr. Dino showed me that as well. And one thing I've learned to do, is hard to do, is just really just to listen to somebody. I've had kids in the past who they would come up and they would talk to you at school. And, I'm, you know, your mind's going to go a hundred different things. And the kid would talk to you. And they would keep talking. And they would keep sharing. And, the, and I had to stop and think, whoa, this kid wants to share something. I had to stop what I was doing. And that happened a couple of weeks ago. And I was subbing. I'm getting ready for the lesson. And, and the, uh, this girl starts talking to me. And she tells me something. She tells me something else. And something else and I, I thought, oh, she wants she wants to share. That was important to her. And I like I said it's not easy for me and I've had to learn this, but you have to stop and just give that person your undivided attention. And to me that's just a, a really kind act when a person just wants to share something, whether it's something good or whether it's something something bad. Um, another thing I just wanted to touch on Jack of Time here, but uh talks about being humble and I read a little bit about being humble. I thought why does he put humble in here? Um Because if if you're not humble, everything's about you. But when you're humble, you put others ahead of you. And I think uh, Peter is mentioning that. And not to get too much deeper in that, but he does talk about it in in chapter 3, verse 16. And in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And it makes me think, is there be any other kinder act than when someone wants to know What's different about us or what we have to share Christ with us? Is there a more ultimate kind of act? And uh, going to Second Peter a little bit. And there's something else we need to know in chapter 2, verse 1 that I've learned. He says in verse 3, in Second Peter, chapter 1. His divine power is given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. This isn't something we don't have to try to conjure up trying to do good. Uh, God has given us what we need. So what we need to do and what I need to do is ask for opportunities. And God will give you opportunities to do kind acts. And it could be something very simple. It could be something even bigger. But uh, he will give us what we need when those situations come up. We don't have to think, well, what's going to happen? No, God God will, and he will. Again, sometimes we may fail, but God will teach us and he he will grow us. And I thought how that's important. And in chapter 1, verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, into goodness knowledge, into knowledge self-control, into self-control perseverance, into perseverance godliness, into godliness brotherly kindness, and the brotherly kindness love. And again, if we're doing those things, we're doing good. Right, perseverance seemed a little bit, a little strange, I got a place maybe in this, but I guess perseverance has that never give up type of attitude. There was a, Novelist by the name of Irving Stone, you've heard of him. He's written historical uh, novels, like uh, people like uh, Lincoln, Van Gogh, Michelangelo. And he said this, I write about people who sometimes in their life have a vision or dream of something that should be accomplished, and then they go to work. They are beaten over the head, knocked down, vilified, and for years they get nowhere. But every time they get knocked on, they stand up. You cannot destroy those people. At the end of their lives, they've accomplished some modest part of what they set out to do. And again, it's, it's this, if he's saying this, uh, as Christians, I mean, Peter's talking about it. James talks about perseverance. It's that attitude of never giving up. Uh, maybe sometimes you feel when you're doing something, what's the, what's the sense of doing it? But you get that sense of perseverance, and I think that's why Peter puts that in there. A <clears throat> couple examples examples. There's a man by the name of Jason Brown. He was uh, in the NFL. He played with the Rams. Um, but he was, felt he was being called by God to be a farmer. And he and his wife, he left the NFL, and he and his wife purchased a 1,000-acre farm in uh, North Carolina. And he felt that God was telling him to give the first fruits of, of uh, whatever he grew uh, to feed the hungry and also witness of Christ's love. His first harvest was in 2004. He did in 120,000 pounds of sweet potatoes. And amongst some other things. Uh, he gave these to food banks. And he also uses volunteers. And he talks about the volunteers. Uh, their, they were there. Their heart was there to serve them. And, I, and I, this was on the, uh, I think, CBS News. They had, a, I think, a year or two ago. And he had this quote that I really liked. And he said, when I think about a life of greatness, I think about a life of service. And I thought, this is just a great example of someone who is just doing good. Um, and... I've had a lot of instances in my life. Uh, when I taught learning support, I had one year, I had, uh, had three kids in a, cl- in a health class. And one of the kids was, a, was a, he was basically a non-reader. He had a severe reading disability. And so I had him in the class with these two other kids for, uh, to teach them health. And there was a special speaker coming in one day to all the health classes, talking about drugs and alcohol. And so I wanted to take my three kids over. So we went to a regular health class. And the, you know the, the door was over here. And over the windows over here, and at the first three seats, my three kids sat. And there was, a, I won't say the names, but there was a J, and then there was a G, and that was a boy with a, a severe reading problem. And in the front seat was a, was a girl, and, a, and a, her name was Val. So the speaker came in, and he talked about drugs and alcohol, and he handed out a worksheet, and it was a quiz. And one of the kids filled out the quiz. And then he was going up and down the rows asking each kid to read their question, and give the answer. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, if we get to this G in the kid here, it's going to be embarrassing. So they go up and down the aisle, and then he got to the kid behind uh, G, who's again, um, just say J, for, uh, and he read his question. I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to do? But be- and as soon as he was done, when it was the next time, the girl in front of him started reading her question. You know, she knew that he had a reading problem, and she was not going to let him be embarrassed. And she immediately read that question, and I thought that was one of the greatest things I've ever <laughs> I've ever seen. It was such a, maybe a little thing, but it was such a great thing. You talk about heroes. That girl three to today is still a hero, but how she, you know, she did that. And I'll give you a, maybe a funny story. I've told this to some people. Um, I grew up as a, in a Catholic church, and I went to a Catholic parochial school. And i told John, I've told other people, theres a pastor Matt. But uh, there are two two nuns I wanted to talk about. One is. I'll just say Sister A, I don't want to use the first name. But um, if, you, if you look up the history of the Catholic Church, there's probably a chapter on the worst altar boy ever, and that was probably me, because I was always making mistakes. You know, and, uh, sir, I'm glad we didn't have to do that here. But and one day I made a lot of mistakes, and Sister A was in charge of this. And um, you know it was bad, because I was making mistakes, and in the first couple pews were all these nuns, and they were laughing at me. So when you got all the sisters laughing at you, you know, it's not going too well. And then afterwards, we went in to change out of our get-up, whatever it was, rose, I guess. Well, she came in, and she just glared at me. And I I felt the wrath of God in her eyes that day, I tell you. (coughs) And then I had her in class. And then one day, I don't know why, but she wanted to change the seating arrangement. So we all stood up around the room. And I don't know why she was changing that. We were all scared to death of her. But what she would do is she would call somebody's name, and he'd sit in a chair... She'd call somebody else's name and they'd skip a seat and then sit in the next seat. And then she'd call somebody else's name, skip a seat, and that kid would sit there. So they went up and dine, and when she called my name, uh, I sat directly behind the kid in front of me. And she came up to me and she, and she looked at me and she said, we're skipping seats, goon. <coughs> and I thought, ooh. <coughs> now if she called me a moron or an idiot, I could understand that. But goon took, me, took it to a different level, I thought. <laughs> um, but... Um, uh, it's not that it affected me that much it's just that I remember 50 years later <laughs> uh, but I also had another uh, sister in 8th grade and she was named Sister Malachi and we all loved Sister Malachi the first week of school we had in 8th grade she just told stories the whole week it was, we loved her, she was a great teacher and we, were, we had safety patrols at our school we didn't have lunch we our, our went home for lunch and we had safety patrols over different kids we were assigned. We go to street corners and mm-hmm. wear a little safety belt and help kids cross the street before school, at lunchtime, and after school. And I was a substitute safety patrol. But one day we were uh, at a meeting—I guess a reorganizational meeting or something—and Sister Malachi said, uh, "Well, I want to give Dave Patanzer his own rod because he's pretty responsible." And it was like, "What?" She called me responsible. The fact that Sister Malachi would say that. So a little extra note here. Don't be afraid to tell your kids or anybody when they do something well. They do something out of the ordinary. Don't be afraid to tell them. You never know. I mean, I remember this was 8th grade. I'm 65 now, you know. But I remember that. And that really meant something to me. It was a kind act. I, I, that's all I felt. Don't be afraid to tell your kids when they've done something. Especially out of the ordinary if they help somebody. You never know. You never know what you might say. Maybe words can hurt but words can also be very helpful, so don't be afraid to tell people that. And then, if you don't mind me boasting about my kids for a couple minutes, Brian's here visiting, and uh, Brian, well, he's helped move people so many times, He's like, he should have his own moving company. Uh, <coughs> but uh, he's also going on; uh, he's going to a mission trip in Africa, and our church helped support him a little bit. But he paid most of that money on his own, he, like like two thousand dollars. But he went on that trip, and sure, oh God was faithful. Well, he works as a citizen analyst at FedEx, and not too long after that, God gave him a substantial raise that more than covered that. But they were building a school there. He's gone to the Dominican Republic where he shared uh, faith in communities. He has, he's involved with the prison ministry in Pittsburgh on, on Tuesdays. He does that. Uh, my son Jason, uh, my wife always called him an endangered species, but he, he really has a good heart. And he, uh, uh, when I, He's a doctor at Yale right now. He has a, a um, fellowship in uh, immu- allergy and immunology. And he's uh, uh, up at Yale. But in the past, he's, uh, he's always studied. He always wants to become a, you know, do well and become a better doctor. But two things that's always stuck out with me is that but he also worked at, at veterans hospital in Pittsburgh. And then one time a, a man came in. He was very belligerent and openly looked like he was going to be hostile to, to the staff. And he stood in, stood up for his staff. And he said, look, there's nothing wrong with you, we're discharging you. And, but he did that to protect his staff. And that took a risk doing that because you don't know what somebody's going to do. But it worked out okay. But I, I was, you know, he said I was proud of him for doing that. Um, and uh, also uh, uh, he, when he was going to do his internship, he was at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And he um, won we we the Super Bowl in 43. Uh, the Steelers beat uh, play, played Arizona. I talked to him on the phone afterwards. And he was in the Room of a young cancer patient watching the game, and I thought you know i'm worried about Sarah's so winning the game, and I mean you know, what's important and then my daughter Bethany i mean uh, she uh went to china she you know her church helped support her she spent two weeks there teaching English and sharing and when she came back, she went to bloomsburg she she asked God to send her a she had a heart for the, the, these those people and she she asked for God to send her a, 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 a maybe a, person, a Chinese person that she could be friends with. And one day she's walking somewhere with class, I guess, and there comes a Chinese girl, Lynn, walking behind her. And Beth struck up a conversation with her. They became good friends. And she ended up coming to the Lord. Uh, this, uh, and I remember when Beth was a senior in high school, uh, with <coughs> we had learning support um, uh, class. So they, the kids had a sociology class and there was these, they had these worksheets they were filling out every day. And there was a, uh, textbook was difficult and these five or six kids would come up and they would work on the work she did help them some and one day uh, after they were done one of the kids said something derogatory about Beth and it wasn't really that bad but it, it wasn't really about her it was more to, you know, to get at me but when, as soon as you said that this girl Diane she said oh no Beth is one of the nicest kids in our class He said, she's friendly and kind to everybody and all the other kids that were there they were on their head yes I mean, I'm sorry. I was really proud because the Beth, it, kindness wasn't something you used to do now and then. It was, a, it was a lifestyle with her. So thank you. Let me boast on my kids, but it also gives me the opportunity to boast on my church because the, my kids grew up in this church, and a lot of people put in time and resources and effort with them and growing them in the faith. So uh, when they've done good, you obviously did some good things. We've always been thankful for everything that you've done, the church, and and I'm not here to tell Lance. Look, Lance. It's about time you start doing some good works. Basically, our message is continue to do good works. And I just wrote down some of the things that our church does, uh, has done. Uh, Like, we did, remember, Wild West Days. We have wild game dinners, Family Bible Week, uh, the car crews, done that. Uh, Children's Ministries, there's so many different things. The youth group, I mean, they're involved in 30-hour famine. We have, of course, the deaconesses, uh, the hospitality team. Our missions, I'm part of the missions team. And the people in our missions team have such a heart... Not just for missions, but they have a heart for the people that are on missions, and they, every chance they get, they look for some way to support them and Again, those are just things that are that are doing good. And we have a caring pastor who cares about us and wants us to know Christ and Christ crucified as our that memory verse is um, so there 's all kind of different <clears throat> acts and different things that are of good and so I just want to summarize and give you a couple of quotes. That I had. If I don't remember what I did with them. Okay. Um. <clears throat> Again, you don't have to do necessarily big acts of good. They can be little things. Oh, we, I'm a the missionary. We've got the Louisiana trip coming up, and we've had people doing missions trips. I mean, so many different things that people have done. I and I'm, I know I've forgotten some other ones. So just like in summary, what I'm saying is that you know our salvation, we're. We're justified, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're accepted by God. That's already been taken care of. When we trusted Christ for salvation, we are, that's already been taken care of. Therefore, we can do good. And ask God for opportunities uh, and for what we need and to, you know, to do good in those opportunities. And there was a quote from uh, Dr. Ben Carson uh, who was on the Internet a couple weeks ago, and he wrote this. He said, while um, much of America seems to be getting more and more d- divisive, I'm going to be holding doors for strangers, letting other people uh, cut in front of me in traffic, greeting all I meet, exercising patience with others, and smiling at strangers. I'll do this as long as I have the opportunity. I will not stand idly by and let children live in a world where unconditional love is invisible and being rude is acceptable. Uh, he said, join me in showing love and respect for others. Love must begin somewhere, and love will overcome hate. And I've always, uh, I like uh, I thought that was a great quote. And then uh, I have a quote from John Wesley that uh, my wife showed me and I thought it was great. He said, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, uh, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. So... Be secure in your faith that you know Christ, that you're, you're saved, you're redeemed, and therefore do good works, so that uh, you'll be blessed, others, God will be glorified, and maybe others will see this and maybe they'll be drawn to know the God that we know.